with a message from God's Word, here's Charles Stanley. If you'll turn, please, to 1 Corinthians, and let's look, if you will, in chapter 2. And the title of this message, The Cross, The Believer's Motivation. And when Paul writes in this second chapter, beginning in verse 1, he shares with us here what the motivation of his whole ministry was. He had one message, and so he said to the Corinthian believers when he came, he said, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined, he said, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The key message that Paul preached was the message of the cross. Wherever he went, that's what he preached. And the key phrase that you'll find in all of the epistles is the little phrase which says, In Christ, in him. Because Paul understood that the whole faith surrounded the cross. It was central to everything. Now listen to me. If you, my friend, are a part of a ministry where the cross is excluded then the heart of that ministry is wrong. If you're a part of a ministry where the blood of Jesus Christ is avoided, there's something wrong. If you're a part of a ministry where the cross is seldom, if ever mentioned, anything about the blood or the cross or the crucifixion is something relegated to the past or to that which is distasteful, then, my friend, something is desperately wrong. Listen to what Paul said. He said, when I came to the Corinthians, he said, I came to you not in the wisdom of man, not with superiority of speech, but he says, I came to you with one message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the reason Paul said that was because he knew that apart from the cross, there was no faith. Apart from the cross, there was no Christianity. And apart from the cross, there was absolutely no hope. Now, I want you to see something here that is so absolutely relevant for you and me today. And that is the cross, the motivation of the believer. We've been talking about the cross and its place in the life of the believer and how essential it is. Today, the motivation of the cross. And the first question I want to ask is this. What is it about the cross that should motivate the people of God? And I think there are four things about the cross that should motivate God's people. And the first one is this, that the cross of Jesus Christ is the means by which you and I have received salvation. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took upon himself the sin of all mankind. That is, 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died, the Bible says, He who did not know sin, he became sin for you and me that we may not have to suffer the consequences of our sin, that God the Father placed upon him all of the sin of all mankind, and he bore in our behalf what God did not want us to have to bear. So that in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, your sin and my sin was paid for. That is, God can still remain the just, truthful God he is, 
and looked down upon sinful human beings, because his son went to the cross and died for our sins, God the Father can forgive us, and at the same time, the penalty for sin which was death has been paid. God the Father who wrote the law that the penalty of sin is death is the same God the Father who provided the sacrificial lamb who was and who is Jesus Christ. The motivation of the cross. What is it about the cross that should motivate you and me? It is this, that apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no hope, not one single iota of hope of salvation, because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. If anybody tells you you can be saved apart from the cross, they're telling you something that is not true. There's not one verse in this Bible, there's not one book in the Bible that'll give you any indication that you can ever be saved any way, any other way than through the cross of Jesus Christ. So one of the things that should motivate us about the cross is the fact that, friend, listen, you and I who are saved, we came to the conclusion one day and we accepted the challenge of the cross and you and I, so to speak, have bet our whole eternal future on the fact that at the cross of Jesus Christ, God the Father atoned in the death of His Son for your sin and my sin. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And how did God still remain just when God wrote the law and said, The soul that sinneth it shall die. How can God allow me to live and have eternal life? And He said, The soul that sinneth it shall die. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned. The only way that God can still remain the just God that He is and redeem a sinner like you and me is for somebody to pay the price. And the only person who could pay the price was somebody who had not sinned. And that was the virgin-born incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Somebody said, well, listen, what is it about the cross that should motivate me, friend? Your whole hope of eternity is wrapped up in that cross. Now, if that doesn't motivate you, there's something wrong with you. Friend, there is absolutely no hope. Listen, you, listen, you can't be forgiven for one single sin. Not one single sin can you be forgiven for apart from the cross. Without the shedding of the blood of the righteous, holy, sinless Son of God, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now listen, what you and I have to remember is this. If my sin is not forgiven, one of these days you and I will stand before the judge of all judges, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll have to give an account for every single violation of the Word of God. Every time we've transgressed the law of God, every time we have sinned against Him, we'll stand before Him and give an account for every single sin. And the only way to avoid that is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That is to accept the fact He died 2,000 years ago with all of your sin on Him and to deny that. That, my friend, is to face a holy God with all of your sin there, which means you'll be condemned for eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but that motivates me, brother, that my whole eternity is wrapped up in that cross. And let me tell you something. This whole unbelieving world, they sneer at the cross. They mock the cross. They laugh at the cross, but I want to tell you something. That same cross is their only hope of salvation. And things haven't changed. They sneered at Jesus Christ when he died. They mocked him. They jeered at him. They laughed at him. They said, if you're the Son of God, come down. Listen, you know why he didn't come down? Because he loved people like you and me too much to come down. Had he come down from the cross, there would have been no forgiveness of sin. We talk about the cross, we sing about the cross, but sometimes we forget, my friend, that every single hope you have today is wrapped up in the cross of Jesus Christ.
The second thing about the cross that ought to motivate us is that when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, he says that you and I, who are believers, died with him. That is, when he was crucified, he said likewise, he crucified us. With his shed blood at the cross, he took care of my S-I-N-S. When he died on the cross, he says he crucified us. That took care of the old self. What we were before we were saved, he said he nailed to the cross. He buried it. He raised us, new creations in Christ Jesus, to walk in newness of life with the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ within us. Each one of us who knows Christ as their Savior has Jesus living within us. It wasn't enough for the cross to take care of my S-I-N-S. It wasn't enough for the cross to take care of my future. The cross also takes care of my presence here and now. That is... Because we live in a sinful, vile, wicked, evil world, God knew that you and I would never make it. So what did He do? He replaced us. Christ Jesus came to live His life in and through us. And we have the Holy Spirit power living within us mightily every day that you and I can walk triumphantly and victoriously in this life. That ought to motivate us. That not only did Jesus Christ die for my sins and equip me to meet him in heaven victoriously, but he says he came to live his life in these physical bodies of ours and to live his life through us day by day, moment by moment, to meet every single challenging circumstance of life. We don't ever have to meet it alone because the cross, he says, I'm going to meet that in you and through you. Now, I don't know about you, but that motivates me. That I'm not just saved down here struggling through life, but Jesus Christ has condescended to live his life within you, my friend, and to demonstrate to this unbelieving world what the faith is all about. And you and I are the extensions of the life of Jesus Christ here on earth. And the only way you and I could be an extension of his life is for Christ to have been to the cross, and you and I have been to the cross with him. That ought to motivate us. Because, my friend, if he had not taken care of the old self at the cross, you know what you'd be? You'd be saved and struggling through this life with yourself and having a horrible time, living in continuing defeat with sin. But there's a third thing that happened at the cross that ought to motivate us, and that is the Bible says that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, what did he do? First John chapter 3, he says that he destroyed the power of Satan, the life of the believer. He says in Hebrews chapter 2, he did something to the power of Satan. That is, he broke the power of Satan. He says likewise in Ephesians that he put Satan under his feet forever. He says in the first book of the Bible that he bruised the head of Satan. He says throughout the scripture, for example, in Colossians, he says that he stripped Satan of what he was, that he shattered him, and that he made him an open display to the world to show the world what sin and evil and wickedness and what Satan would do. Listen. Evil and sin is best seen when you look at the cross and recognize that it took the death of God's only begotten Son to atone for sin. That shows how wicked and evil and vile and destructive and degenerative sin is. So the third thing that happened to the cross that motivates me is the fact that the Bible says that Satan, his power was broken. And that means that you and I have the right to live this life not under the power of Satan. But in the power of the resurrected Christ, the living Lord, living in and through us, moment by moment, day by day. The fourth thing that happened as a result of those first three is that when Jesus Christ went to the cross and you and I looked to the cross for our salvation, our crucifixion, when we recognize what happened to Satan, we also recognize that something else happened at the cross. Because of those three major events, the Word of God says that God has set us free. Those who know the truth, he said, if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. If we know the truth about our salvation, if we know the truth about our crucifixion, if we know the truth about Satan's defeat, we will be free. That is our 
I'll be free to become the person that God wants me to be. At the cross, I understand that I belong because I belong to the family of God and everybody needs to feel like they belong. Secondly, I sense my worth there because I can look at the cross and recognize how much worth I am in the eyes of God because He'd have sent His only begotten Son just for you if you'd have been the only sinner He left on this earth. And the third thing He says about it, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into your life and equipping you with the Holy Spirit, He made you adequate and competent to face any and every single situation in life. So that there are three basic needs that all of us have, a sense of belonging, a sense of worth, and a sense of competency or adequacy. God Almighty provided all of that at the cross. So that today your hope of eternal future, your hope of living victoriously right now, your hope of becoming the person that God wants you to be, it is all wrapped up in the cross. And when you remove the cross from your life, you have no hope of life everlasting, and you have no hope of victory down here. Now listen, that ought to motivate us, amen? Now the key question I want to deal with today is, what is it the cross should motivate us to do? What is it the cross should motivate us to do? When I look at the cross and recognize that my hope of salvation is wrapped up in that. That I've been crucified, buried, and resurrected, living in Christ Jesus and He and me. That Satan's power has been shattered in my life. That I'm free to become the man that God wants me to be. What should that motivate me to do? The first thing it ought to motivate me to do is to live humbly before God. Listen to me. In Micah chapter 6, you'll recall... In this small Old Testament prophet, what he says, a passage of Scripture that all of us need to read every once in a while in verse 8, he says, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God? Listen to me, watch this. If my salvation is wrapped up in what Jesus did at the cross, if my life here and now to be victorious is wrapped up in what Jesus did at the cross, if my hope of victory in this life is wrapped up in what Jesus did at the cross over Satan, if my hope of becoming the person God wants me to be is wrapped up in what Jesus did at the cross, I want to ask you, my friend, what in the world do you and I have to brag about? Not one single thing. There is absolutely no place for pride, no place for egotism, no place for patting ourselves on the back, and no place for ignoring God. Listen, everything that you have this morning came to you as a gift. Every, listen, you know what God is always doing? Reaching out. You and I are the continuing receivers of God's blessings. We receive the blessing of salvation. We receive the blessing of redemption. We receive the blessing of the crucifixion. We receive the blessing of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Friend, we are receivers. When I meet somebody who's pompous and egotistical and proud and talking about they don't need God and they don't need to go to church, I think, my God, my God, how blind can a man be when the only hope he has in the future life and this life is what Jesus did at the cross. And I want to tell you something, friend, a, a Christian who is walking in pride and arrogance before Almighty God, talking about what they don't need, making their own decisions, regardless of what God thinks, I want to tell you, you're out of the will of God, you're living in sin before God, and the more you look at that cross and the better your viewpoint, the more you recognize how little pride it takes to put you out of the will of God. Listen, who in the world is man like an ant? Like a grain of sand. What can a grain of sand do? It's just washed by the waves. Listen, friend, apart from the grace of God, sin would wipe us off the beach like a tidal wave against the sands on the beach. And here's pompous man in all of his pride and egotism, all of his accomplishments and all of his achievements, talking about he doesn't need God. His unbelief will destroy him ultimately. 
If there's one thing the cross ought to motivate us to do is to walk humbly before Him and recognize that every single breath we have is a gift of God. Listen, God could wipe every single one of us out in a split second fast and you could bat your eye. We could have breathed our last breath at the last word I spoke. And who is proud, egotistical man? Listen, when I look at the cross, I think, my God, my God, there is not anything within the whole human race together that matches the worth of that. Next time you get to feel a little proud about what you've accomplished, you remember, my friend, that God Almighty through the cross of Jesus Christ did for you and through you what's happened. The second thing that I believe the cross of Jesus Christ ought to motivate us to do is this. It ought to motivate us to serve the Lord joyfully. What does he say in Ephesians, for example, in chapter 2, a passage of Scripture that most of us know the first nine verses we know pretty well. But the tenth verse says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Watch this. We are his workmanship. That is, every single believer is his workmanship. That it is his workmanship at the cross that saved us, that crucified us, that indwelt us by Christ, that indwelt us by the Holy Spirit. He says, For we are his workmanship. Watch this. Created in Christ Jesus unto, listen, unto for the purpose of what? Good works. Listen, serving the Lord joyfully. When you look at the cross and recognize what Jesus Christ has done for you and where you'd be without him, let me ask you a question. Why do you think he saved you so you'd feel good, so you'd look good, so you'd be better? Listen, Jesus Christ saved you. He said that you and I, listen... Created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible says that God Almighty at the cross, what he performed there, he performed that to motivate us unto good works that will glorify him. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing on a daily basis in the name of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you one thing wrong with the whole church in America. The church in America is filled with people who go to church as spectators. They go to church, listen, they don't even go to church to meet God as excited as they go to church to see their favorite football player make a touchdown. They're more excited about football, baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, you name it. They're more excited about those things. They stand up and they cheer and they root. And you know what they're doing? They're right in there. They feel like being there. They... they they do everything they can possibly do to get the same feeling the fellow is feeling out there on the field. And they identify with all of that and they come to church and hear that. You say, but we are being reverent. I'm going to tell you something, my friend. Reverence doesn't mean silence. Amen, Amen brother. That's right. <laughs> doesn't mean silence. He says, enter into his courts with praise. Come before the Lord with singing. He says we're to enter into his temple, what? To serve the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Here's what we do. We read the Bible. When it says, created in Christ Jesus under good works, we say the preacher, the staff, the musicians, the choir, the ushers, the Sunday school teachers. Let me ask you a question. Whom do you think God has challenged to serve him? Listen, he saved us all by the same grace. He said we are created in Christ Jesus unto, for the purpose of serving Almighty God. Do you know why some people, what the vast majority of people not growing in the Lord? Listen, you can sit and absorb gospel truth and hear truth and hear truth. But my friend, if you are not putting into practice what you're learning, and you're not giving it to somebody else, and you're not sharing your faith, and you're not serving God, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to listen very long, and there is absolutely no way in this world to be obedient to God and do nothing in the name of Jesus. 
Have you never heard God's call to you? Do you think God's calling the fellow sitting next to you? Is God calling the lady up in the balcony? Listen, he says, for we, that means everybody, were created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. We can't all do everything, but we all can be doing something. And I don't believe you can be right with God, absorbing truth after truth, principle after principle, week after week, month after month, year after year, and never giving it out to somebody who desperately needs God. Let me tell you something, friend. There are more folks hurting today than have ever hurt before. I've never seen so many people hurting so deeply. Hurting so deeply. They're hurting and they're aching. And you know what they need? Listen, they don't just need food and clothing, a job, though they need that. They need hope. They need help. They need strength. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know that God has accepted them just the way they are. And they can be forgiven of their sin and their guilt can be taken away. And that God still loves them in the muck and mire of their sin. And He'll reach down and pull them out. They need somebody to tell them. The third thing I'm motivated by when I look at the cross, and that's this. I believe when you and I understand the truth of the cross, we're going to be motivated to give to God generously. Let me ask you a question. When I th Listen, this is beyond my comprehension. Beyond my comprehension. If a man or a woman understands what happened at the cross and then quibble about giving God a tithe, I want to tell you, my friends, you're blinder than a bat. There is no... Listen, there's... Listen... Let me ask you a question. When you think about the fact that God Almighty, the sovereign God, took the greatest thing in heaven, Jesus Christ, His Son. Listen, that's part of the Godhead. That is that God Almighty loved you and me enough to come to this earth, clothe Himself in human flesh, and lay down His life on the cross. And He didn't die for righteous folks. He died for folks like you and me. The Bible says God the Father gave His best when He gave His only begotten Son. You mean to tell me you can't afford a tithe? Don't tell me that. Friends, you've not looked at the cross. In fact, if, listen, if you have a problem giving anything at all to God, you haven't even glanced at the cross. But the last thing I want us to notice here is this. And that is, when I look at the cross, I'm motivated, and we should be motivated to share our faith. Let me ask you something. Friend, if we have the solution, if we have the answer, and I want to tell you, friend, the cross is the answer. That's why Paul said, I don't have but one message, in them, and the me that message is the cross. Because he had discovered that the cross of Jesus Christ was the answer to every single problem, and it is. Once you begin to understand the meaning of it, you know that's the solution. How many folks do you know that are hurting? Aching. Struggling. Defeated, living in the muck and mire, chained and bound by sin. Or emotional frustrations and problems and heartaches. Their families breaking up, the children are weeping and crying, being taken from one parent to the other. Let me ask you this. How under God's name can you and I ever justify keeping what we've heard to ourselves? I don't believe we can do it and be right with God. If we're not sharing our faith, when you get your eyes on Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for you, when you begin to see what Almighty God has done for you, and then you're not motivated to share your faith, you need to ask yourself the solemn question, Oh, God, have I ever been saved? If I can look at all that and turn a deaf ear and walk off and forget it, friend, there's something wrong on the inside. Deep down inside, something's wrong. Somebody says, when God moves me, I'm going to start witnessing. Then, friends, you'll never witness. 
When I get the burden, listen, is that what the Great Commission says? When thou gettest the burden, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's not what he says. Whether it's in your work, in your home, among your neighbors at church, as you go, make disciples. You say, I don't know what that means. I'll tell you what it means. Friend, you just tell somebody the exciting thing that Jesus Christ is doing in your life and God will save them and he will help you or at least give somebody else the wisdom to grow them up. You work around people. You live around people. You're a part of other people's lives. God's made you a part of their life. And you're keeping to yourself the only message under God's heaven that will save them and keep them out of eternity. Now, I want to ask you, my friend, one simple question. Who was the last person you led to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Satan has deceived us. We read go and we read it entirely different. We read it somebody should go. He said, created in Christ Jesus under good works. And we think, well, that's those who are specially called to God's service. I want to tell you, my friend, that's not it at all. Let me ask you a question. When you look at the cross of Jesus Christ and recognize that they drove spikes in his hands, and I'm not getting sentimental, I'm just telling you the truth. And they nailed his precious feet to that cross, and they rammed a javelin in his side, and they thrust on his sweet brow a crown of thorns that blooded his eyes and his face. Let me ask you something. That doesn't motivate you to do something about your faith in Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel, then you're something wrong. When you understand that Almighty God, listen, He identified you in the death of Jesus Christ. And when He was crucified, you were crucified. He buried you. He raised you. He seated in you in the heavenlies. And today you're walking in the Spirit of God. That doesn't motivate you to share your faith. There's something wrong. When you recognize that Jesus Christ split that tomb, He came out of that tomb. He destroyed the works of the devil and He shouted to the world, the atoning sacrifice has been accepted and I'm here to live my life in the hearts and lives of believers. That doesn't do anything for you. And when you recognize that Jesus Christ loved you enough just like you are, that He said, I want you to feel worthy. I want you to know that you belong. And I want you to know that you're adequate, so I just decide to come and live my life in you to be sure that you have it all together. Now I want to ask you a question, what are you going to do about it? You going to keep listening to sermons? Are you going to say, I'm willing to share my faith? I choose to begin to give generously as God told me to do. I choose to begin to serve the Lord God. I choose to begin to walk humbly before Him. Or you can say, I'm going to put that off, which is, which is when you say that, that I'm not making a decision. You have chosen to deny Jesus Christ as Lord of your life at that moment. The only thing that matters to me is that you and I are obedient to Almighty God. What are you going to do with the gospel truth of Jesus Christ delivered from His Word? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley, speaker on the InTouch television and radio broadcasts. To order additional copies of this message, or for a catalog listing available video and audio copies of other messages by Dr. Stanley, call toll-free 1-800-323-3747, or place an order online when you visit our website at InTouch.org. If you prefer to write for more information, our mailing address is In Touch, Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia, 30357. 
If outside the USA, please contact your local InTouch office. This has been a production of InTouch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia.